Kia ora koutou, hello everybody and welcome to Epic Aotearoa Create a Better Future podcast where every week we share uplifting messages told by New Zealanders in their own words. Our mission is to share the learnings from those lived experiences, inspire our listeners to take positive action and go out there and create a better future. Proudly brought to you by co-founders Joe Hortai, former soldier in the Special Air Service, family man and aspiring entrepreneur, and Brian Osman, a knowledge engineer, family man, entrepreneur and all-round good dude. Thank you for connecting with us today. Now let's get started and create a better future. Let's go. Welcome to this episode of an exciting podcast. I am excited to be here and I'm excited to introduce to you and into the world AJ Sahini. AJ is an entrepreneur, co-founder of a tech company based in Auckland called Piqua. And you'll find them www.pikwa.io, just as a shout out, there you go, AJ. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. He also has two patents. He's a, he's a tech dude, a startup enthusiast, and he also has his own podcast. So he's a podcaster just like us. And I'm excited, actually. I've watched a few of your podcasts, and they're, they're really, really cool. And that's wayforward.tv. So in this interview, we have the privilege of, well, I have the privilege, actually, of speaking with AJ and be able to hear some of his insights and thoughts into something I think is really exciting, particularly for our listeners that are looking at a potential solution, a tech solution to problems or ideas that they may have. So in this interview, we're going to look at what is PICWA and what, how did it come about and what were the drivers behind that um, idea to start the company. Flowing on for that, we're going to also look at continuous improvement and how that's useful for organizations because this is all tied in with PICWA. And this thing called MVP, now some of us will be familiar with MVP, the concept, and some of us won't be. So this is going to be cool to find out what do we mean by MVP, where we get the data from for that, and some feedback that all flows in together. And then we're going to explore a little bit later on after that, the skills shortage in NZ, and how a lot of companies are flowing towards outsourcing, and how that could be a nightmare for them in a lot of ways and I'm sure we're going to cover a lot more so brother over to you welcome good morning and thank you for your time here today no absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me no, it's, it's all good all good maybe perhaps before you even get into Piqua uh, and it may, actually may flow into that way but maybe just a, an introduction about yourself my brother yeah absolutely so I was born in New Zealand um, and uh, I've been like a tech geek since the age of eight. Um, just loved coding uh, since then. I actually don't, ironically, I don't code a lot right now. Um, and that's what happens when you become a business owner. You're more um, focused on the business operations. Um, and yeah, so started a tech company about six years ago. And it was kind of accidental. I didn't do it on purpose. Uh, what I was meaning to do, because I was working as a web developer for uh, what's called Reality Altered, and um, I was just looking to save up for a deposit for a house. So I thought I'd freelance. So I started freelancing on a site called Upwork.com. So that's when you can go um, sort of bid for jobs and all that sort of stuff. So we're talking tech jobs, like development type stuff. And so what I did is instead of putting out like, you know, your 
your normal uh, text job postings, I'd go and actually record a video and be like, well, hey, I'm different. Look at me. Um, and that, w- that worked quite well, actually. So I think I'd send about four proposals like that and I'd get like one client. So it was, it was super cool. Um, and so through that, like I got a lot of gigs and um, these gigs were for startups. And that was my introduction into the actual startup space. So to this time, I didn't really, um, to me, a startup was Facebook at that time or something like that. I never really knew what a startup yeah. was. Um, but then when I, when I got into Upwork, started working with real startups, that's when I was like, ah, this is actually some cool ball game where a lot of things are happening so these startups were in america australia and israel and um from that there i i started working a lot with them they're somewhere in a seed stage pre-seed stage so i grew with them um and at the end of that year which was i believe 2016 um they grew quite a bit they got their next round and their development needed to ramp up and so since i was already working with them they asked me if i had anyone in my network and so that's when I got to pick up my phone and call my bros and say, hey, um, <laughs> do you guys, you know, want a job? It's going to pay more and um, it's cool to work and you get to work from home. How about that? Um, and so everyone, I mean, not everyone, but most of them were like, yeah, we're keen. And so before you knew it, I had a bit of a team and I had signed um, now kind of like a interesting thing is that i spoke to one of my friends who worked at apple at the time and i told him what's going on he's like well look first thing you got to do is just contract yourself to that company because you could make some decent margins here and actually turn this into a company i was like "Mm, okay look into it and so um i contracted all those clients in um, america and australia and israel Uh, we had them on retainer i hired out you know my mates here and before you knew it i had a team (laughs) <laughs> and so just like that yep just like that um and so that was the birth of pickwa that's how we started um and yeah really you know we we got really dwelled we dwelled a lot into the work we we're doing uh, one of the companies were day two uh they're they've got a super cool product uh, i can't wait till it releases in new zealand and so what you're able to do is you're able to send them a stool sample and based on that they sequence your dna and they tell you what foods are good for you or not. Like what's the most ironic thing is that avocado might actually be bad for you and having the odd cookie every now and then might be good for you. And it tells you that. Um, mm. And one of the cool things that I, I think is just super amazing is, so you know, type two diabetes, that's something you just can't, you can't manage because you don't know how to manage it. But with this app, with this system, they're able to do that. And so, the one thing that I saw within the startup space is, I mean, innovation is there, no doubt. Things rapidly change. Um, but to me, how I say business is a very great vehicle that you can use to go change the world. And then I think startups are the Rolls Royce of it because you've got, you know, you've got your innovation, you've got your risk taking, and you're really always trying to beat the norms with it. So, I mean... It was just a space that I, I was I started becoming really passionate about, really you know wanted to understand. So with day two, um, you would see me because they're in Israel. So you'd see me like on a call at four a.m. in the morning uh, talking to the Israeli team, and then at seven a.m. talking to the American team just because I wanted to learn. I wanted to understand how these guys operate, how these guys think, because um, they're all you know MBAs and everything. I was like, oh, I'm not an MBA person. Um, nor did I graduate. I um, only uh, did my uni for three years um, and uh, sort of pushed away and wanted to become more practical because that's why I, I, I felt like I was a more of a practical person than theory. Um, 
So it was it was a really good opportunity to actually learn, um, you know, how things operate at scale from, you know, people that have, you know, done it a lot of times. So that was day two. And then Terry Tool. So just so you know, we would we were working with day two, Terry Tool, and all these companies at the same time. Uh, so Terry Tool, again, like that was a accidental product. We actually were first contracted to build something called Tulipro, which is a cool concept. Um, and it's, it's out there right now, which is basically a marketplace app where you can go hire a handyman and get work done. Real simple. So that's what we first built out. And while we're building that out, uh, the son of this company called EDI Express. Now, EDI Express is this massive tracking company in America. Um, he's like, you know, we've got 30 salesman staff. And they all do door knocking and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we spend about 15 to 20 hours per month just routing that, like literally downloading where they're going to, like downloading a list of where they're going to go, then going onto a map, and then on the map there, uh, literally getting a pin and creating little clusters of where they need to be on each day. And so he's like, well, could we create a, um, a system that solves that? And I was like, hmm. Yes, but I don't think it's like feasible. And so that's where the patent play comes in. And so we we went and we tried out to we tried to build it out with, you know, existing tools. So we tried uh, your Google Maps API and then your TomTom API. Uh, and we did with not so much success because you could only put up up to like 20 places at one time. There was a limit. And so that was kind of like, well, how do we create something where you can go, you know, create an optimized route for 500 or a thousand waypoints so we literally scratched everything we could um we basically came back to spencer spencer's name and said hey you know we're gonna have to make something which is custom and we don't have all the resources in new zealand to do that and so that's where we this is the birth the, i mean the birth of the second department of Piqua. so we've got an office in Ahmedabad as well in India, in Ahmedabad. Um, Mm. And the core reason why we have it there is, I mean, most people would think you have an Indian office because you want to reduce costs. Uh, It's an absolute lie for us because (laughs) what what we ended up doing is we we wanted the cream of the cream Mm. from there. Mm. So we've got a bunch of IIT graduates. Uh, We're not talking about just uh, grads, we're talking about post-grads. And um, really our strong talent is from there to act as a catalyst to who we have in New Zealand. And that's what we, that's, that's the environment I wanted to create because, again, passionate about New Zealand. We don't want to bring every, give everything in India. We want to use the power they have in India and catalyst everything we have here. So with um, Deep Shah, that's his name, who helped create the patent with us, uh, we went out and... Um, built the two um, op- uh, sorry, route optimization patents. So one is for a cluster, which I told you. Uh, if you need to be here on Monday, here's the area you need to be in. Wednesday, here's the area you need to be in. And then, you know, what we're doing that we also created a patent for, well, let's just say that, um, you know, Brian, you want to go on a trip to Europe and you want to plan that out and make it, you know, really route optimized and not waste too much time on the road. Um, and you're looking to see about 50 60 cities or i mean that's a lot uh, but anything more than 10 cities which google or the competitors don't handle you can go onto the system and uh, create that and plan your trip so 
that's where Terry Tool was born. That, that's where Terry Tool was born, and that's how Terry Tool was brought about. Um, it's got a lot of enterprise clients at the moment. It's growing very silently. Uh, that's one of the companies that uh, they didn't get any VC funding because they were backed by um, very, you know, rich family and friends. So it's good to have that if you've got that. It's yeah, yeah. That's why we, that's why we could make a lot of mistakes. So it's good to have that. Bro, I'm sorry. I'm hearing passion. This is what I'm really hearing is this, this passion to just to learn and to try and experiment. Um, it, it's interesting to me that yeah, you like three years into the degree and you go, oh, you know what, this theory stuff is nice, but <laughs> I want to do yeah. hands-on work. Yeah, yeah. You know what also gets me too is like you just talked about that um, with that that the optimization, the route of optimization patent. But it sounds like you just spiking and experiment and spiking, experiment and spike. That is so cool. I, I guess it, it highlights, well, to me, perhaps, that you know, there is no one way to, to do something that we're always constantly looking for a better way or a yeah. better solution and just trying to see what comes out. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, experimenting is, I mean, effectively, each startup is an experiment. You're, you're really proving a hypothesis, right? So... And no one's done it before. So you can't be like, okay, because of this book here or that book here, this is how it's going to happen. Um, you're building the book on your own way. You're creating it yourself. And I think for anyone that's in a startup, if you fail the first time, well done, you're on the right track. If you fail the second time, well done, you're also on the right track. It took us six tries to get this. We actually went out to production with the below par optimization system only to find out that it's below par. So it's, and that also brings me back to one, one other thing is that particularly in the startup phase, because I work with a lot of non-technical founders and even some technical ones. And what I've found is that in theory, things could work, but then when they go build out the product and put it in customer's hands, mm. that's when you actually realize how good of a fit it is. And that's, that's what happened with Terry Tool. We, we created a very simple algorithm, no AI, nothing fancy, that would create routes. And it worked pretty well for Orange County in California. As soon as you went out of that county, it then. And we didn't know this until it was actually all tested out. We tested it out everywhere. We had multiple people using it. And more importantly, the one thing we couldn't mimic with um, our testers ourselves, our stakeholders, um, internal team, is well, how does a door-to-door salesperson actually run their day? It's supposed to work alongside them. We're not that. We don't know how it works. As much, well, you, know, you can research as much as you can, but actually putting it in their hands and seeing how they use it, that's when you get real feedback. And if you improve upon that, that's when you get your golden nuggets to actually move closer to something called product market fit. And when you do achieve that, uh, you're able to build them. You're able to help them more. Uh, it's a beautiful win-win. So that's, that's really just getting closer to the customer or as close as you can. To yeah, get that yeah. Feedback. yeah. Oh, that, that is actually interesting because when you think of, I guess a lot of people when they think about a startup, they think about, I've got an idea. And then that's it. They go, I've got an idea without realizing that it's not just, that's just the beginning. There's a lot yeah. more you can go from it. And I, I like how you said that. You, know, you pivot multiple times and... Um, when we first started, uh, Joe and I started Epic. Well, it was Joe's idea, really, and um, I came along <laughs> and jumped on board. And we we were looking at, at a tech solution, and um, one of the things that we really gravitated towards was some of the stuff that Eric Rees would talk about in his book, The Lean Startup. 
Um, mm. We detected the pivot or persevere, and we were constantly, well, what do we do now? What do we do now? What do we do now? And what are we getting? And I guess one of the things that we were really was really looking for was data, so that we can get that feedback. And yeah, yeah. And that I guess that for us that was part of what was. To be to be frank, was probably what was missing it was enough data to be able to make those decisions, and then for us to pivot again, I guess part of it was just gut instinct was just like, well, what else mm. can we do? And then, but I, I love how you said this, and, and that's what if you fail once, congratulations, fail again, congratulations, and it's just persevering, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, oh, right. So, so that's Piqua. Well, that that's actually exciting because it just shows that. You could be doing your thing. I mean, you could be happily doing your thing, freelancing, and, yeah. and then it turns into something more. Did, so, did you do you think you were always an, an entrepreneur type? Did, was that something that you discovered that was, hey, this just worked for me? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, kind of yes, kind of no. So I've always been. Um, I've I've also I've sort of understood scarcity. So scarcity is one thing I've understood. So um, I was a pretty dude who would buy tickets for the All Blacks game or the Black Caps game, right? Hoard it and know that it's going to be sold out and then try and sell it after. So that was me when I was like, you <laughs> know, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was like, what, I don't know, 12, 14 at that time. I just, I mean, there was no other way I knew how to make money. Um, so that that's probably some, like I was an opportunist. That's one thing I've always been, opportunist. Um, but when it comes to business sense, that's something I never had. And I think I never had that until probably um, a year into running the business. So even when I signed the initial contracts, if I go look back at the hourly rates we agreed to, the retainer prices, they're just so below market. It was just, I mean, once we did the, you know, every year we do changes, um, we renegotiated that's when we got back to you know what it had to be so i think i think one of the and i see this a lot with entrepreneurs who start out out of the blue and come from a job in fact when a hundred percent of the time when i see an entrepreneur coming from a job uh into the you know the entrepreneur uh, state they really don't realize their worth they really don't and i think that's one thing that you've really got to look at Uh, and i think the key things that i've sort of from experience realized is one really look at how much value you're giving your client don't don't think about you know well, what's in the market what's the hourly rate. Don't, first think about what value you're giving to your client second uh, then come back to the hourly rate see what the market rates are see what the alternative is and then price around that really really put yourself around that and um the more experience you have and job experience absolutely counts. Uh, even if you're a new company with no case studies or anything, but if you've got the same experience in your job, uh, believe me, you, you can rock up to a meeting and you can just tell them that that's your background and that's good enough. Wow. That's absolutely good enough. Yeah. Um, so really believing in yourself. In fact, I would, if there's one thing I would change, I mm. would actually want to work probably for a year um in the i mean i did get to work but uh, as a consultant for a year before jumping into business i think that would have helped a lot 
just talking to people, talking to my target audience, um, which is kind of ironic because people just say like, you know, jump into entrepreneurship and you're good to go. Um, but I really do think that, you know, there's a lot of merit in um, doing both. And I think both parts work. Like, I mean, this pathway where I just jumped in, it worked. We're sitting here now. Um, but I, I think uh, being in the place I wanted to be, um, maybe as an intern, like maybe I'd have to, you know, give a lot of people cups of coffees. But just being in those meetings, um, seeing how they run it, uh, seeing how they did it, uh, seeing the conviction in the consultant's eyes and mimicking that after I think would, would have helped a lot because we, we really did in the early stages. We really did undercut ourselves. I think we were only as a company not as a company, as uh, personally, we were only charging 45 USD an hour um, at the start. It was really that low because I had no idea what the market, um, I was just blank to it. And so I was like, all right, well, this is still quite a lot of money. But then, good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like 45, man, yeah, that's, that's good. USD, you convert it to NZ, that's not bad. Um, and so we, we, I mean, that's when we fixed things up. Uh, became a bit more woke um, and we we did that and um, I think yeah that's one one critical thing uh, and you do and I think the most important thing was is that you can't you can't pour from an empty cup so it's important for your company to make profit uh, it's, it's really important not just for yourself but also for your clients too if, you, if you're not profitable then how are you going to withstand certain things how are you going to invest in R&D it's, it's important yeah actually that's a really good point you know, sometimes we just go blind, you charge your head and go, hey, we're going to build this and, and without thinking that, hey, the financials got to, t- somebody's got to take care of that. Yeah, that's got yeah. to take care of itself somewhere. Absolutely. Uh, you know what, I, I really like um, what you've been talking about, um, particularly being an opportunist um, early and those all black tickets are, I was like, oh man, you're that trade me guy. All right, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I just want to ask you this, ask this question, something you, you raised a little bit earlier and you said, you know, you work across multiple time zones, US, uh, Australia, Israel, wherever, um, mm. um, India. Do you, do you find, do you find when you work with these different companies, all of these different time zones that coming from little old NZ and working with the US or the Israelis or India, and, and I get what you mean by India because it's, it's the scale, right? It's, it's, it's mm. not to, to make things, uh, necessarily cheaper but it's the economy of scale in the sense that you've got all these grads these bright minds and ideas and you can be able to leverage that but do you find there are differences working with these different groups and you have to oh yeah with, with it, yeah yeah okay so i'll tell you one thing um and i hope no israelis listening to this <laughs> israels israelis are the most i mean i'm trying to find a better word um but they're up your neck they're actually up your neck all the time. Um, very monotone people. Uh, they're nice people. It's, they're not. They're not. They're very nice people. I love them to death. They're great to work with because they get it done. They get it done. There's this one reason why they're the next Silicon Valley. Uh, they, they, I mean, Wix made in Israel. Square and um, it's just so many great companies have been built in Israel itself. It's a it's a great startup hub. They're they're miles away. I think they're ahead of America too with their innovation. Um, and you know, with Israelis, they have high expectations. They really do. They hold you accountable. They really do. And that's what I mean by up your neck. There is no laid back in that country. Um, when you're 19 years old in Israel, you go straight to the army. Every 19 year old goes straight to the army, um, and they're there for two years. 
um, before they go to uni. So uh, they've got that warrior mindset, like, you know, this is come on troops, let's go get it type mindset, um, even with their uh, companies too. Um, so working with Israelis, real fun. Uh, time zone it's the same as London uh, so that's kind of difficult it was difficult to be honest um, in fact we it was too difficult that we actually dropped Israel we dropped Israel in 2019 because uh, me and you know a lot of the leadership staff were getting kind of uh, we're getting kind of sick in the sense that you know we weren't resting we, we had no work-life balance I mean you never really do uh, so we decided to drop Israel because it just wasn't working for us India America Australia when you serve the west coast you've got to be up early when you serve Israel you've got to be up late so how does that work so we had to pick one um and again we wanted to pick one that was easier so we went for America again Israel they are they're really onto it uh they're a great country great bunch of people if you ever want to get it done and you don't want to mess up you go to israel you get it done from israel yeah you've got higher chances of it um, being done properly in israel um but yeah love loved them to death love them to death um and then yeah i think like with america it's different right like you, you'll find different pockets of people in israel it's very consistent you've you've got like you know the similar type of personality whereas with um america if you're working with someone from California, like we're talking uh, not the Bay Area, but we're talking Orange County or Los Angeles, they're very laid back, very chill. Mm. They do need, obviously, you get you know stuff done. And I think working with that time zone is super easy because, I mean, 10 a.m. now here is 3 p.m. there. So it's, it's super easy to work with um, with the you know, Californians there. Uh, Bay Area, uh, on the other hand, uh, look, they've got a good balance. I think they've nailed it. And um, time zone wise, completely fine. Uh, the Bay Area, we're talking about Silicon, Silicon Valley. Great people to work with. A lot of innovation happening there. Uh, and yeah, I, I would say really great personalities too. That's that's one thing there. Um, and real understanding of like, okay, what does my start? How does my startup actually give you economic value? That's one thing I see see a lot with America. In New Zealand, I don't. Uh, in New Zealand, I see a lot of people just coming up with an idea or think they can solve a problem, but have no idea how much economic value they're giving to the end user. Uh, whereas in America, from day one, they get it. They absolutely get it. If you're at the Bay Area stage. However, I can't speak for um, all other places or you know companies I haven't worked with. Aussie, on the other hand, I think Sydney is like a mini New York. Ah. Uh, in terms of hustle. Um, and, uh, you know, the way you guys sort of uh, get things done too, I've, I've found it very similar to them. Uh, a lot of like the, I've found a lot of opportunist um, personalities in Sydney as well, which I like quite a lot. Um, and I think the great thing about Sydney is that even though it's hard to have work-life balance, the Australian culture at the moment, it sort of pushes it, like, you know, have some form of it, uh, which is what I really like. And um, I think that comes to easy charge in um Australia, so that's the grab and go stations we built out. Oh man, that was a hectic project. Um, it was just crazy, man. Because mm. so they manufactured these devices in China. Mm. So uh, these were power banks that you could go rent. So they manufactured them in China and then brought yeah. them into Australia. And so they brought them into Australia and they realized that first of all, uh, the the Chinese engineers couldn't speak English. So they had to talk through WeChat and translate it. So they're like, okay, well, this is not something that's going to work long time, uh, long term. And um, in addition to that, they needed to scale quickly. And they found a lot of bugs within the system. It wasn't built out correctly. So 
you know, Russell from Easy Charge was frantically calling me and saying, hey, man, we've got this problem. In like six weeks, we need to launch. I was like, all right, that's your problem, not mine. See ya. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. And then um, a week later, he's just like, okay, look, we've got five weeks now and I really need someone. Can you please help? Um, I was like, all right, no, let's, let's look into it and um, we'll figure it out. Um, and so that was a really interesting project because we had to bring in... Uh, we had to obviously bring in the system, understand it, and actually talk to the Chinese engineers um, in Chinese. And so what we actually did is we contracted uh, someone who could speak Mandarin, write Mandarin as well, in India, in India, which is, yeah, which is, it was like, I, was, I remember telling my team manager, I was like, do you reckon we'll be able to find it? He's like, oh yeah, don't worry, man. We'll sort it out. I was like, okay. And then I was like, over here trying to find someone too, because I, I didn't like believe him. I was like, you're not going to find someone in India. And then there you go. You were a brown man speaking Asian. <laughs> and funny. so, yeah. And so he was the one talking to them, doing the entire rollover. And so we, we finished it in four weeks and Russell was super happy, able to roll out. Um, but it just taught me, you know, he, there's this really nothing that can't be done. There's really nothing that can't be done if you just go pursue it. Even the patent taught me that. Taught me that too, because um, there were there were hurdles in it. There were so many hurdles in it. Um, we we weren't just getting the accuracy. The accuracy was only seventy eight percent, even when we chucked AI in. Um, so you know, it was it was actually like it took like a glass, like a couple of like a bit of whiskey going to Queenstown, taking in everything, relaxing, and then going back to work and then figuring it out. Like it really took a break to come into that space of, okay, I'm now thinking uh, and uh, rather in that, it's like force versus flow, right? Hmm. So get back into flow. And so that's that's what that break did. And I came back into flow. I went back to deep and I was like, all right, let's, let's take this approach, the K-means approach. And um, he's like, yeah, we could do that. We did that, and we're sitting at ninety-seven percent accuracy. Nice. You know, this um, this is actually quite a nice, nice step into this this next thing that I really want to explore. Um, and, and and you've alluded to this because it's like you've got an idea, you have got a product, but you're constantly refining, refining. You know, and you take the break. You got to because you can't be hundred percent capacity, right? You can't yeah. be sprinting all the time. And I guess we get so caught up into into our our baby, you know, uh, that we have to commit. 100%, but to take that step back so you get back into flow is really useful. And I guess we can call this continuous improvement, not only for oneself, but also for the product and also for the organization. But um, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about um, what you see as continuous improvement and how this is mm. useful for organizations, particularly the, some of the ones that you've worked with. No, yeah, absolutely. So I'll split this into um, two compartments, one for your uh, organizations that already exist, and then one which are startups that are just starting. So I'll start off with the startups. So continuous improvement is, is a mindset that every startup founder should uh, take in. And that is a full conviction, 100%, you need to have this. Um, and what this really means is that you need to have a growth mindset. So when you're building out your first product for your startup, so hypothetically, let's just say that you're building um, a podcast app, right? An app that makes podcast recording easy, like Riverside. Right. Um, if you notice this, um, it, it was the UI wasn't this good. It just had some functionality. You, you couldn't live stream. Uh, the video didn't work. It was just audio. 
And that's how they started out. They started out with something which just solved part of the problem, which was bad audio quality with the um, internet podcast interviews. And that was enough uh, to get get themselves kick-started. And so really diluting what you need to do, really understanding what your end user really wants. Like they probably would have said we want video too, but what's more important right now? Mm, audio would be great. Audio would be really great actually. So really prioritizing it because... Again, you add video to your app, you've, you're adding engineering hours, and if you've outsourced it, it's gonna cost you. If you've got a freelancer, it's gonna cost you. Uh, and your goal is to launch with minimum cost, right? And also minimum time to launch. The less features you have, the quicker you're gonna go out, right? In addition to that, when you do release every app out there, there's no app in history that doesn't have bugs. The quicker you get it out, the quicker you squish them, the better and you can always bolt on these features afterwards and that's what I, that's why i come back to continuous improvement so you you roll your system out and you launch it the very first thing you should be doing is collecting data now there's a couple of ways you can collect data one which the one i love the most is picking up the phone and calling your customers and saying hey is this good is this bad how's it going and collecting that that's the first means mm. and really using that and you when you ask questions don't just ask is it good and then leave it. Oh, yeah, you love it. Okay, whatever. Because um, sometimes they lie, to be honest, because they don't want to um, <laughs> hurt you. So you've really got to ask them, be like, all right, so, you know, how'd you log in today? Was it good? All right, did, was that good? How was that um, recording? Uh, were there any hiccups anywhere? Do you think we could improve upon anything? Um, how much time has this saved you? Yeah, how much time is this, going, is this going to save you from your editing and other things? Like really figure out what else it saves for them uh, and use that collateral. Because like if I'm like you're, you're recording right now, had you done it the old way, you'd have to uh, download it, cut it up, create something with Riverside. You miss all that. You save hours. Um, and those hours, and this is one thing that Serge said as well, is that, you know, if you take this metric, and sort of say that, all right, I've saved 15 hours and your hourly rate is 50 bucks or something like that. You take 20% of that, that's your that's a good, or 15%, that's your good recurring payment. So you've kind of built the business model there. But going back to continuous improvement, asking those questions and really understanding uh, you know, what, what the feedback is, taking that in. In addition to that, what I like to do is also uh, put in tools within the apps. And those tools could be uh, your screen check, which is just looking at clicks, where the clicks are, what features you're being used. Um, in addition to that, you know, really looking at bug snack, you know, really seeing where the issues are, where they're not. Uh, you know, continuous improvement is not just making the product better. It's also, uh, sorry, for the end user, and like by enhancing the experience. Continuous improvement is also making the system more stable. And that's one thing that every startup founder that's non-technical mm. does not care about. You've got to care mm. about it. You've got an unstable system. I mean, you've, you're a QA person yourself. It's going to hit the fan when you're scaling as well. So really taking that approach to continuous improvement, really understanding that, all right, this is a growth mindset uh, you've got to have. Uh, it's not going to look pretty at the start. It's probably not going to have all the features at the start. But as you go, you gradually put it on. And one other thing I think which is really important for startups and most startups that are non-technical founders in New Zealand, even Australia, they get this wrong. Because they're not product managers, they just don't understand whether a feature is worth it or not. 
They don't understand if a feature is going to bring in an ROI. They do not understand if a feature is going to be feasible or not. They do not know if a feature is going to be too complex for the system. Like They don't take all this into consideration and then decide, all right, we're going to go build it. And it's not because they don't know. Uh, they probably do know of this at a high level, but this is a this is a job discipline within itself. It's a discipline within itself. So maybe hiring an advisor or a freelancer that that is a product manager coming into your team and helping you here, it oh, it will idea. it will cost you probably you know two four maybe eight k a month or if you put them in full time a bit more, um, but it'll save you twice the amount. And it'll make you, it'll help you pivot the system quicker, uh, bring in more customers and bring in more revenue. It'll save you money, bring you more money. It's it's an absolute win-win. Um, and I just, my heart breaks every time I come across someone who's put this soul sweat into a software, um, you know, a team, and they just keep adding features because they think that's what they need to do. Um, and they run out of money. They run out of juice. They run out of everything. And they're like, oh, crap, we can't do any more with this. They, they're just, they've done 95% of the product. They're 5% away from, you know, some form of product market fit. And they just can't get there. Um, and it's usually because they don't understand how to pick the right features to build or not. Mm, that's actually a really good point. Because, yeah, with the in that product owner manager space and understanding the um, not only the customer, but it's, it's that that the economics behind that the mm. value you know and we and I, I love how you said that you know you got to go talk to people and it's not just talking to customers or talking to people it's those deep questions yeah so it's not just oh hey AJ how you doing good oh yeah fine okay cool next phone call yeah it's like how did you find the product you know what happened when you like like you said when you logged in they're the qualitative measures when we talk yeah. to people backed with the quantitative um, metrics that we get as we put in those analytical tools I, I think that's absolutely spot on and I loved how he said that from really from our perspective you're looking at from particularly when you look at continuous improvement is not only the system but also the customer that they, they have to marry together because I can mm. imagine you know, if the system is if the system is not happy the customer won't be happy because it'll just be, it'll be full of bugs it'll be all those sort of things that, that, that is absolutely oh. exactly mm. so you're going to uh, sorry, uh, do you want to go further into like guess, CI or sorry, not CI, but continuous improvement into yeah. like, personal space? So. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll also wrap up like what it means yeah, for no. established business, businesses too. Yeah, so yeah. Um, if you're an established business with an established company, established software, or even a website, hmm. right? And I think every small business owner should actually tune in to this. Don't build your website every three years. Keep improving it every two, three months. Look at the data. Look at what your customers are saying. Keep refining your message on your um, homepage. Uh, keep adding in pages based on what your customers say. You will have higher conversions that way. And you won't have to keep doing rebuilds every three years. Uh, when you're doing it in increments like this, uh, based on feedback. Oh, and they call this growth-driven design as well. It's a new uh, discipline. HubSpot, uh, they, it's a great tool to do it on. Wix as well, a great tool to do it on if you've got, and which is why also one other uh, bit of advice for small business owners out there is um, yeah, don't don't go for WordPress, don't go for any of those. Get something which is no code so you can go adjust it. 
and keep adjusting it, taking that, take that time in to adjust it. Or if you've got a marketing agency, say, hey, I want to take a growth-driven approach and let's keep improving it along the way. Um, and that way you get incremental results. Um, you're doing it based on data. Uh, and when you do things based on data, you usually do get better results. But what this means for companies is the exact same thing. Have that growth-driven approach. When you build out an application for internal staff use, like take your staff's feedback, ask them what they think and keep improving it. Keep it, keep it, um, you know. And that's one thing that a lot of uh, internal staff apps don't do. They build it once and they go, all right, we're done. But uh, take the approach of, all right, let's build a minimum for our staff. Let's keep bolting it on. And, you know, within the same time frame, you have a better app, a better internal staff tool. Uh, and that's where I think continuous improvement is. I mean, agile is a game changer. It's hard to implement. It really is. You would know it yourself. Uh, startups, even to this day, quite larger ones, they don't implement it. Everything is ad hoc. Uh, but um, it also gives you a picture of like, you know, everything works at the end of the day. Some have some pros and cons and some, you know, because of that, you win in some places and you lose in some places. You've just got to decide where you want to win and where you want to lose. Yeah, good point. Great point. I liked it. So maybe a little bit further too, um, and I, I liked how you said it a little bit earlier to get back into the flow. I guess that's um, something we also miss because we're so, like, so full on. You know, and you've already alluded to this in, in the early discussion. But personally, how, how do you find again that, that continuous improvement for yourself as, as, as mm. a, an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, so the early stages, I never had that. So I would just work, 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 work until you do burn out. It happens, and then you crash. Like, oh no, tomorrow. Like you don't want to work anymore. You don't think anything is worth it. Um, and I think one thing which has been pivotal, and you've probably heard this multiple times, honestly, work out. Go, go for a run, go to the gym. It, it does a lot. And do it every day. Do some form of workout every day. It helps a lot. You could be having a day. You go for a run, you go to the gym. It just changes the entire paradigm. Um, so really work out. Really, really find that half an hour to one hour a day. I think the other thing is, is um, schedule in breaks really scheduling breaks. I do get it, like at times you might have to go six days a week, seven days a week sometimes. But you know, after a long two week sprint or three week sprint, um, go all right, you know, for three days, I'm just gonna be off, do nothing, and then come back. That energy boost will just take you a lot of ways, uh, a lot, like, you know, a long way. But in, in other places of continuous improvement, like, you know, listening to podcasts as well, like this here, helps a lot. Uh, looking at material as well, you know, YouTube has got a lot there. Uh, you've got a lot of great influences out there. I personally like Joe Dispenza, uh, Jordan, uh, I forgot his last name. Uh, there's another one. Uh, it's not Belfort. It's the um, philosoph uh, philosophical one um, for his name. Uh, let me just see what his name is. Give me one one second. I think he's just amazing. He's, he's that guy. guy. Peterson. There we go. Peterson. There you go. Peterson. There we go. Jordan Peterson. So yeah, Jordan Peterson. Uh, you know, great, great at what he says. Uh, Simon Sinek as well. Mm. I think is good. Absolutely good. Uh, uh, just listening to these people and being in a place of. Um, I think one other thing is pretty important. Is, you know, uh, family time, time with friends, uh, to sort of you know release. Uh, also remind yourself. You've got other things in life too, having other hobbies too, like um, going out, doing other things with what you have. In in essence, like this is all a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's it's a marathon. You've you've got to play it for the long game. 
You really do. Uh, if you want to be in it for the long game, if you're in it to get in and get out, then um, mm. maybe go risk your money in cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> uh, and it's not a bad thing, you know? People make it's money, it's good. Yeah. Hey, that, that is sage advice, that is sound advice. I think that's something that we we miss. And, and part of it though, it's interesting when we reflect back over the last year or so with COVID and different lockdowns and like, I mean, obviously New Zealand went hard and, and early and then, it, then you had a little bit of flare up through there, but it's been pretty constant since then. But in Australia here, um, particularly in Sydney, we're currently through lockdown. But being in lockdown, uh, well, kind of a lockdown, it, it, it does give you that time to sit back and, and reflect and, and pause a little bit because you're at home and, and you see the people that are most important to you around you. And, and you, you kind of work around that as well, or work with that. And, and that, I think that's a brilliant thing. Thank you. Uh, totally that, agree. That is, totally that agree. Is fantastic. Um, I just want to move a little bit further on. Uh, you talked about data, you talked about feedback, but you also started to mention this thing um, MVP and I suspect there's a number of listeners that will go MVP cool I know what that is but there's a whole bunch that go what is that is that most valuable player yeah I was one of those at high school <laughs> time. what's the MVP to you my man yeah so MVP stands for minimum viable product and so what that means is that it's a version of your idea a product version of your idea that is diluted absolutely diluted to something which gives the end user, the end user is a person using the app or the product um, value. So really diluted. And an example, I, want, I would say that, okay, let's just say that you've got, um, what's an app? Instagram, right? Instagram. At the moment, you can DM, you can post stories, you can post photos up. Um, and the UI is relatively good too. Now, let's just take a step further. I think an MVP of that, now this is just a high-level MVP, it's not really an MVP. An MVP version of that would just be, you can just post photos, nothing else. You can post photos, you can't even put a caption up. You can just post photos, no hashtags, no tagging, no, you can just post a photo. That's an MVP, and you can follow people. That's that's basic, that's, that's an MVP of Instagram, so really diluting. Um, and if you think about it, look at, look at it eight, nine years ago, you'd put, a photo up on Instagram and that would be it. You'd mm. follow your friends and that was it. That's how it started. Um, and that was the value of it. You could go share your photos of what you're doing or whatever it is you want to share. And that was a key value. So really figuring out. I think what one other problem that a lot of startup founders, they really jump into is that they say, oh my God, I've got a great idea. And six times out of 10, it's not great. Reason why is because they don't understand uh, whether it's solving a problem or not. And if you can't tie it to solving a problem, do not go with it. Absolutely do not go with it. It's it's going to be tough. You're probably going to have to pivot a lot until you get it right. Um, but if you can't tie it to solving a problem, right, then it's, it's, it's no good. And I think the one thing that like I, I sort of look at, you know, when solving a problem is you want to make sure that it's a problem that's popular, it's growing, it's either urgent, expensive, in some form mandatory or frequent. Like, you know, you want to look at these attributes. If you've got one of these, you've got a decent idea. You've got multiple of these attributes, then you've got a pretty good idea. Um, you know, an example of popular would be, uh, let's just say, 
at the moment, uh, what's what's popular at the moment is uh, uh, music. You know, everyone likes to listen to music. So okay, you've got that attribute, right? It's a uh, and right now, let's just say that uh, let's just go back ten years. There was no streaming, right? Uh, problem for me to listen to a song, I have to go download it, pay for it, and then put it on. Uh, what could solve this problem? Mm, you know, building a subscription-based model that, that you know lets you stream it on demand. Um, that's popular. Uh, is it going to grow? Yeah, more people are going to make music. Uh, there's going to be more listeners as we've got a growing population. Yeah, makes sense. Expensive. It's pretty expensive to go download each track. So can we make it more affordable? Yeah, we can. So just certain things like that. And I think with frequent, you're going to be listening to music quite frequently. So you've got decent attributes there, which is why we have Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube Music today. Um, and these are very vague examples um, and also very vague um explanations of the attributes but i was just trying to just to make something that would um resonate with the listeners so it's really just taking that that wicked problem there uh, and, and just tying this back to your mvp so i get that because then it's like well because i guess we we see things in, in an idea so like we have to build the perfect idea it's got to have everything and then people will come to it but we don't need to do that, right? We just no. need to build an MVP that's tied to a wicked problem or a prioritized problem or something that adds value or solves an issue, an opportunity in some way, and then we get feedback from it. Would that be a, 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 a summary of where I'm heading to, where you're heading to with that? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think a good point you put up there is that, look, making the product better is not your competitive advantage. It is not your competitive advantage. Like most people will say, okay, we're going to go make Facebook, but a better version. To replicate, I mean, the question you're going to ask yourself, and in some ways you could, uh, but um, you've got to ask yourself, okay, if I replicate Facebook, that's the first thing you've got to do. How long will it take? Well, we're talking years. Improving upon it, now we're talking a couple more years. Is it feasible? Mm. But a lot of entrepreneurs go out with that approach and say, okay, I see this product here. I can make a better version of it. What you'd rather do is saying, yes, you you do want to make a better version. You absolutely do. Do say that. But start somewhere small. So let's just say, for example, with Facebook, I think that their groups, you know, the system is real crap. I want to go build a platform where you can go create groups and invite people. Right, and you perfect that that specific feature, that specific problem, um, where you know people can go create their cult groups or whatever it is, collaborate with it. I mean, like if you look at a good quote that Bruce Lee said, you know, I fear not the man who has practiced ten thousand kicks mm. one, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick ten thousand times. times yeah. And then now you're already ahead of your competition, so it's it's just a different way of looking at, at things with your idea and um really and look there's no silver bullet like it probably does sound like i've got a lot of silver bullets here uh again these are just ways you could try and if they work great if they don't there's chances for that too but this is just a way where you have higher chances of uh, getting it right that's nice because when we just i guess to to wrap up that part when we talk about continuous improvement and 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 all this is really that kaizen mindset that we start small Think small. Mm. Yeah, look for those small wins, and then continuously refining because there's compound interest over time. Like it, it builds up, and until you got that product, and then and then you can start tackling the next thing. So yeah, rather than trying to hit that big elephant, oh, we're going to compete with Facebook. Well, yeah, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So I mean, not not yet, but eventually could be. Yeah, eventually. That's right, because you start off small, right? And, and then yeah. you, you make those small experiences better until they become better experiences, a, a collection of small, great experiences rather than trying yeah. to do one big experience. Yeah. And this is... This has been really fascinating because I'm, I'm hearing from you when you when you talk through the, the the experiences that you've encountered as as a company as yourself with 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 working as a, as a startup working with startups over the last six years and how it kind of resonates in in, in Aotearoa, um, in Australia, the world. Let's let's just let's be frank. There's people all over the world are going to, are going to hear this, but I want to get a little bit more specific. Um, there's some things that you've seen over the last six years, um, particularly in New Zealand and, and around the skills shortage. And I, I just wonder if you can talk more about that. Mm. It's it's a pretty huge problem in New Zealand and Australia right now. Um, and so you do have some companies embracing remote teams and outsourcing um, to offshore companies and nearshore companies. Uh, it's a good strategy no doubt that's probably your only way to beat it you either get graduates and do below par work or um you know some of them do quite well uh, to be honest or um it's kind of risky that way but when you outsource it um you've you've got a senior developer and you, you can get things done but the thing is though is that with these arrangements there's a lot of nightmare stories mm. nightmare stories in the sense that like you outsource a company uh you think they're working full-time and they're not doing it for you. They're working with multiple companies at the same time. So I think the first thing you want to do with making sure that outsourced arrangement works uh, is ensure that you've got a dedicated developer. So in fact, let me just talk about the um, the three ways a um, outsourced company could work with you as a, um, you know, IT company, uh, sorry, if you want to outsource IT skills. Uh, the first one is staff augmentation. And so staff augmentation is when the a team member from that outsourced company comes into your company as a full-time member, dedicated staff. Now, staff augmentation works really well only if you onboard them correctly and you've got an agency helping you do that because let's be frank, you've never done it before. They'll get it right for you. Uh, and it's also in their best interest to get it right because they want to hold you on and keep you as a client. Um, and the other thing, I think a good benefit is that when you do this is it, it does cost you less. It does cost you less for talent and you do get better talent. Um, the other thing you want to look for is that when you are with staff augmentation is that you're also running them through your hire process too, not just completely relying on the outsource partner. You run them through your um, hiring process too. Make sure they're a cultural fit. Make sure you can communicate with them because the last thing you want is someone who looks great on paper does all the practical tests looks amazing and then when it comes to communication collaboration they die out there that's the last thing you want um, so really running it through them and i suppose also making sure that uh, particularly remote teams and i'm sure a lot of it companies are doing this but having proper security parameters in place so one thing we like to do with all our team members is we give them a nice free macbook to keep we say, here you go. Um, and then we also give them a VPN. So a VPN is a virtual private network, and that's dedicated to them. And they can only access that through that MAC address. And so our VPN is only restricted to certain websites. And um, basically, also, nothing is stored on the MAC itself. So 
it's a secure environment. So making sure that whoever you do hire out, the company has these security parameters in place to make sure that uh, nothing shady is going on and uh, you can actually trust them accessing your networks safely. So I think that's one other thing. And if you have your own VPN, great. Day two it. And that was that was fantastic. We had to connect every time uh, and that, that helped a lot. Um, in addition to that, once you do get them on board, like really treating them like team members, I think is important. Like treat them like your staff, uh, even though they contracted out, treat them like your staff. I think that's really going to go a long way. Um, and, you know, hey, when borders do open, uh, also give them the opportunity to come in. You know, if, if you think they're a good fit for you, um, you know, we help facilitate that. You only we want to make New Zealand and Australia's workforce better. That's all we want to do. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the perfect opportunity to try them out remote. Mm. If they're a good fit. All right. Come on in. Come in um, yes. Yeah. It's a black jersey at the border. It's got a exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, you can't bleed blue anymore. It's black. Yeah, bleed blue. No, that's right. Or if you're talking about Australia, the, the, the gold. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, We've got to give a shout out to our Australian cousins. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's staff augmentation. And that works. Mm. That works well if you get the hiring process right and you nurture the relationship. If you don't want to do that, don't even do it. Don't touch it. Um, the second approach, which is more hands-off, if you don't want to nurture the relationship or do any hiring yourself, is something we call the pod method. And so let's just say that your software, right, or your company is working on 25 different products at the same time. Now, instead of outsourcing your engineers and putting them on multiple products, you know, to fill the gaps, what you should look to do is taking out of the 20 product apart products you're building 19 of them you leave in-house one of them or two of them you outsource completely so what i mean to say is that if we're building product one then your outsource company should have a project manager that is in charge of delivering that product in addition to that have their own engineers designers and uh, qa all in-house so that they can work frictionlessly in uh, what's it called um, alignment and in parallel with your entire team this actually does speed up development it really does it's a very successful method that a lot of companies um, don't embrace because it's it's kind of hard to do because you've got to split the product and just say all right well this is yours um, but actually once you've done it the first time it's super easy to do afterwards and it's that's the most successful way to actually outsource your uh, development or whatever it is you want to do and actually accelerate um, your productivity that really does work because um, if you've got engineers split between different products um, and you're managing them it's just a whole havoc nightmare that just does not work and actually coming back to staff augmentation the other thing you want to make sure is that those engineers that you've got they're working in your time zone if they do not work in your time zone don't go there do not do not go there there needs to be some some point of overlap if there's no overlap, it will really become harder when you when you come to crunch time. And then you would tell yourself, I wish I had them here. But when you have the overlap, a decent amount, then those things won't come. Uh, but back to the pod method. So the pod method is basically uh, you've got a pod, you've got a project manager at the top of the hierarchy, you've got your engineers, your designers, your QA, uh, all outsourced. And that way, the project manager of the outsource team has complete, um, you know, they're completely autonomous. They can do everything at their own will. They understand the engineers and they work quick. That's the quickest way to get things done. Uh, the third is team augmentation. 
that is hit and miss and hit and miss because uh, what team augmentation basically is is when you've got a team right and you hire out an outsource partner to add a couple more developers onto your current team working on whatever product it is right now the reason why it doesn't work is because a lot of companies don't realize that well these guys need to be onboarded they need to understand the code you're working on second um, you've got to project manage them too you've got to bring them out to pace what ends up happening when you do team augmentation to speed up development is you spend more time getting them up to speed and less time moving the needle and it just mm. evens out and you've now spent more money a whole lot of headache and it's all for nothing so team augmentation if you have a silver bullet that makes it work go for it but i've seen team augmentation just not work too well in addition to that with team augmentation because they're not fully dedicated to you uh, some agencies what they do is that they ask you what tasks they need to do they do those tasks for you and then carry on to another one it's just task based um and it's fair if they do it. It's absolutely fair. You've just got to make sure uh, on your end, if you want to make team augmentation work, is that they're not doing that. Really make sure that uh, they are yours for a certain amount of time and you keep them towards yourself. In fact, having having them on a time-based um, objective as opposed to milestone-based, uh, at least for team augmentation, it will help a lot because with software, uh, you might do one task and then you realize you need to do two more. You might do one task and realize it comes to you, you QA it, you go, nah, that's not it, go back. So having a time-based one is, I think, a better approach. And, um, you know, if you want to beat the IT skills shortage, staff augmentation is the way to go. Induct them, nurture them, and really embrace the fact that, okay, they're, they're going to be on. And, and really try and um, make the timings work. So I think for New Zealand and Australia, good countries are... Uh, India, Philippines, Philippines is the best uh, in terms of time zone. Um, and even, yeah, even you know anywhere in Asia, to be honest, pretty good. But then when you go into the Ukraine territory, Romanian territory, they've got great developers. I really do think they do. But then the time zones just don't line up with us. Mm. <laughs> wow. Wow. All I can say is, is that has been absolute gold. And, and I'm hoping that our listeners that are uh, contemplating moving into that the tech space and or they may have just started their journey in that tech space with software solutions and they're looking and or looking for staff this that has been absolutely spot on because when we talk about outsourcing we often hear about those nightmare stories yeah you see the big corporates oh we've outsourced all that they had their head and I'll say this respectfully um, with Westpac in Australia and this was a few years ago where they outsourced a lot of their IT and I believe, and, and, I, and I stand to be corrected, and I believe they bought it quietly back in-house because that wasn't quite working for them. And mm. uh, But I'm hearing similar stories, anecdotal stories, very similar to that, because I suspect they haven't done this, the, the, what you've talked about, or there have been some challenges uh, along the way. I really like the the idea of the augmented staff or augmented staff. You, know, you bring them on, you treat them as if they were your own, you know? Mm. Because uh, I'm sure we've been in the situation where we may have been that, that freelancer, that contractor, and you are treated differently. And unfortunately, it, it creates friction. And that's that's not what we want. We That friction, we, what we want is that, that alignment, that smoothness so that we can all produce. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And, you know, it's take care of your family and your family mm -hmm. will take care of you. Yeah, that's it. 
AJ, I, I really, really have appreciated the, the time that you've spent with me this morning to be able to share these, these really deep insights, some real nuggets and gems that, that, that you've got. So I guess as part of the, the wrap up, right? What I, I just want to ask you uh, 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 one more question, and again, I just I then I guess just after that question, what I guess the just from you some final words, and then we'll be done for this interview, which I, I, I really enjoyed. So my um, question, so did I. My question, thank you, thank you, AJ. My question for you then is this: If you actually let me rephrase it this way create a better future epic alterador create a better future podcast our our vision is to create a better future so for you and your experience from what you've seen particularly over the, especially over the last six years what does create a better future look like for you mm, it's a pretty strong question um so i'll say what it's looked like what i think it will look like is don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to experiment and mess up. Have that mindset that when you wake up in the morning and go, oh crap, how many things am I gonna mess up today? And actually go mess it up. Because if you mess up five things, you'll get one thing right and that's enough. So, so really, really be open to that. Um, and actually think, give things a go give things a go really give things a go it's i know it's easier said than done and i think the most important thing here is really not giving about what people are going to think right really not caring i think that's very critical because uh, when you start thinking about what other people think imposter syndrome comes in mm. right you don't have conviction in what you say uh, really learn and at the same time i'm saying learn your stuff really understand yourself and understand your stuff really do that uh, if you are a it professional that wants to excel in the it space make sure you know your stuff right and if you're convinced to yourself yeah go out talk you have to talk and have some examples um, but really give things a go like for example we'll talk about six seven years ago when i started becoming a freelancer right i evolved to something i didn't i didn't think it would evolve so go things go give things a, a try uh, you never know what will come out of uh, certain things really give things a try um in addition to that having a growth mindset i think is important uh, you're only going to keep better uh, gonna, you're only going to keep getting better uh, so really embrace that like if i make five mistakes today um, i'll know what not to do tomorrow um, and practicing like really i mean uh, here's a great example i was only 23 years old I rocked up to, uh, what's it called, consultations. I was consulting EcoStop. I was consulting, uh, what's it called, Makita. I went into those real big enterprises, uh, a little kid going in. Um, and yeah, I had some experience up my belt. But um, the system that we're you know, proposing to them, look, I only knew 50% of what we we're going to do. We had to figure the rest out later on. And so we got those contracts in and... Um, it really just uh, signifies go give stuff a shot go try and even Richard Branson says the same thing you know say yes to whatever comes by and figure it out later um, <laughs> really 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 embrace that I think that's been that's been great and uh, dream big uh, I think one thing that really puts you into a downward spiral and that's what happened in lockdown uh, that's what happened to me as well 
is you get into this scarce mindset where you're just like, okay, uh, if I only make this amount, I'll survive. Or, you know, that's it. I'll be fine. Uh, we don't need to do that much. That's fine. We just have to make this amount and do this amount of work and life is good. Uh, for some people, that's great. But if you if you really want to go do something big in the future and create something, don't have that mindset. Really go in with that mindset that, okay, I'm going to go um, make a difference. There is no ceiling to what I can create. Um, and we're going to keep going. Dream big. Maybe dream of things that, um, you know, couldn't be done but just dream of it think of it because you never know i never thought i'd have a company here we are beautiful that is absolutely beautiful we're about to wrap up now and um i think this hour or so just over an hour has been absolute gold so as we start to wrap up aj are there any final words or comments that you would like to add on or append to what you've just said um no, not at all. I, I think, yeah, I repeated myself quite a lot of times uh, with what I just said. Um, but yeah, just go experiment, put yourself out, try things, um, and don't really worry about what other people will say. Um, also, sorry, one thing I'll add, rejection. Mm. Learn to love it. Amazing thing. Honestly, learn to love it. If you want to come into the uh, entrepreneurship game, you're going to get rejected a lot. Uh, but rejection is redirection. So don't even sweat it. I like that. Reader, rejection is redirection. I like that. AJ, this has been absolute brilliant. I really appreciate your time. I really do. Uh, for our listeners out there in Aotearoa, throughout the world, you have heard AJ Sahini from Pikwa.io. He is in the entrepreneurial space. He has shared his experiences. If you want to get on board, if you want to grow, right, think and listen to some of the things that he has shared because he has lived the experience. He has been there. And also too, if you want to you know, join forces with AJ, I'm sure he's willing to help out. I'm sure in some way we can, we can talk some money there, you know, just a little bit of a marketing plug. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, Alterador, appreciate your time. AJ, appreciate your time. There's only one thing left to do and that's let's go. If you enjoyed this conversation, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. Be sure to hit that notification bell so that you can be kept up to date with more inspiring messages from amazing New Zealanders each and every week. If you found this discussion helpful, we invite you to share this link with your networks and tag Brian and I when you do. We would love to hear from you, so please be sure to leave us a review so that we can continually strive to provide the best service possible. As Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to predict your future is to create it. We thank you for your support, Aotearoa, and we're excited to partner with you in working together to create a better future. Let's go.